on this episode. The point that people don't understand is life after cancer is really, really, really tough. It's almost as tough as going through the whole process because you don't have the doctors that are checking in with you on a weekly basis. Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe, this is Big Conversations, Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. We are at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, the center of the Coachella Valley universe and the home of our podcast. I'm Patrick Evans, and I'm joined by my stalwart co-host, who's here every week, even when we don't record a podcast, Mr. Randy Florence. You know, I just realized you're actually Patrick Evans. You're like famous. You're a big dude here. I can't believe you let me sit next you, to you and do this podcast. You calling week. me fat? Wow. This is, this is taking a turn after 40 podcasts. No, I think, uh, you think you know a guy. You know, you come into this valley, you watch TV, you see a guy every morning, you start feeling really good about him, you get to know him, and one day you're sitting there across from him at a podcast table. And then you get up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to watch a different channel now. What the hell was I doing? Well, the, uh, this is a special day for you. Yes. Because you've been undergoing treatment for... I've had some mental issues. Yes, that too. Those seem untreated. And getting worse. Incurable. <laughs> no, today you had your last radiation I treatment. I had my last radiation treatment for my second lottery winner, second bout of prostate cancer. They're supposed to get that the first time. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that to the doctor. And <laughs> when I left the office this morning, they said, we won't be seeing you again. And I said, you said that last well, you time. You said that last time. <laughs> And uh, I brought my lawyer with me. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty special day. Now, congratulations yeah, uh, on that. And uh, it's unfortunate that you have had to endure two different kinds of treatment for the same kind of cancer. How long? How far apart were the diagnoses? Uh, 2016, late 2016, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. In May of 2017, I had my prostate removed. Which was why it was surprising eventually that I ended up with prostate cancer. A little unusual, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I'd expect to have a heart before I'd have a heart attack, so. Yeah. Um, so we have a special guest. Yes, we do. Today, because we want to talk a little bit about your journey through cancer, but there is a woman in town who has turned her journey through cancer into something really incredible that benefits the entire community, but particularly those people who are struggling with a diagnosis, who have survived cancer, and that is Shay Moraga, who's here. Yay! Hello! Founder of Shay's Warriors. Shay's Warriors. Life after cancer. Yep. Welcome. Thank you. And she spent a couple of minutes before the show telling us when you were talking about balls today. So I felt if I used the word before she did, it'd be smoother to kind of transition into that. Now we're talking about smooth balls. This is... <laughs> This was that what Sean LaBelle talked about when he was here? Smooth jazz. Smooth jazz. Smooth, Smooth jazz. jazz. Okay. Well, we're a little tongue-in-cheek. Just a little. Organization, just, right? You, I hope we get to everything you discussed immediately prior to we, uh, us starting the recording. Uh, so, actually, it's, it's going to be interesting to have both of your perspectives. But I want to start, Shay, with you. Talk a little bit about... Uh, the journey that got you to starting Shay's Warriors. Talk about your diagnosis. Talk about where you were in your life and and what that diagnosis meant and what it felt like. Yeah. Um, well, interestingly enough, uh, in this this day in 2015, I was at the Smithsonian in Washington D.C. dancing my heart out, and I remember that feeling of just loving life. And a month later, my world would crash because there was a pop that I felt in my breast on December 31st of 2015. And um, I knew something was drastically wrong. Like I knew in the depth of my heart something was not right. And it was all starting to add up. Um, February, 6, February 11th of 2016, I was diagnosed with stage three triple negative breast cancer. Hmm. Um, so for that full year, I went through 20 rounds of chemo, um, six of them known as the Red Devil Cocktail. How do you love that? Red Devil running through your veins. Yeah. Um, and then 
I had surgery, and then I had 38 rounds of radiation that year. Wow. Um, so it was a it was a trying year, but December 1st of 2016, I was finally my doctor finally said you're Ned, not dead. Ned, <laughs> no evidence of disease. Mm. So you know they'll never tell me that I'm cured or cancer free or anything like that. But he said there is no more cancer in your body right now, so you, there is no evidence of disease. So. Um, it's kind of interesting that that same year, we didn't know each yeah. other, but we were fighting the fight together. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to that moment, because I know the moment when I got the call, and it just seemed so unreal. When you got that diagnosis, what went through you right then? Um, I was triple negative breast cancer is yeah. a pretty serious issue. Very serious. Yeah. Um, it usually happens to younger women. Um, and it's very, very aggressive the younger you are. So being 38 years old, I had never had a mammogram. That was the first time I'd had a mammogram or a, or a soundogram, for that matter. Um, but I sat for about three hours in the doctor's office by myself. Mm, that's hard. And waited for the doctor to give me that prognosis. And I finally had to stop them and say, hey, do I have breast cancer or what? Um, that was the first doctor. And um, finally she said yes, and then proceeded to basically, in what I will say, throw up on me and tell me all the stuff that was going to happen, you know, and go forward. Um, Linda's to say, I got a second opinion and had to get to a doctor that I could feel comfortable with and talk to and that would help me through this process as well. Um, and one that made sure that if there was ever anything coming up, I had someone with me at that time. Did you know anything? Uh, did you have any knowledge of family history or anything at that point when you got the diagnosis? So no immediate family, meaning my mother or my grandmother. Um, nobody that I knew of had had breast cancer. My aunts on both sides of the family did have breast cancer. The interesting thing about it is that neither one of them had triple negative. So the one thing that I've learned throughout the journey is that unless you have a BRCA gene, breast cancer is not hereditary. But your chances of getting breast cancer go up if you have a mother or a grandmother that has it. All right. Talk for cancer novices like me. Talk about what triple negative is and, and, and kind of explain to our audience for those who, who are unfamiliar with that diagnosis. Sure. So there are, th there are three things that usually make up, a, it's kind of weird to say, a normal breast cancer, um, but a hormone-based breast cancer. So it's estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 positive. Uh, those are the three things that make it up. I had none in either of them, so my breast cancer was not coming from e any of those genes at all, or any of those, um, any of that. So then they call it triple negative. It's the wild card. You don't know where it comes from, except that it is in the bloodline of um, Jewish descent, Hispanic, and African American, which I did have. So. All right. So you get the diagnosis, um, you have to ask them because they're throwing all this stuff at you. Then you go home. What was that like? When I left the doctor's office, the first thing I actually did was I called my daughter's school because that's the first thing that I thought of um, having a 12 year old. And of course I Googled <laughs> triple negative right away. Yeah, WebMD. And everything pointed to death. I mean, the, I think I had a 20% chance of living something incredible like that. Oh my goodness. Um, and they throw numbers out. They do. They throw these percentages out to you. Like you understand them. And, and all as I want to hear is like, <laughs> you're going to live. Yeah. I can save your life. You yeah. know, that's what you want to hear from the doctor. Obviously they can't say that. Um, but triple negative, like every, everything pointed to death. So I called my daughter's school and I 
called the guidance counselor there and I said, I need to see you right now because I knew I needed a second opinion right away. And that's where I headed. Because I also knew that the only other place she was at home and I needed to keep it together was school. And I needed school to keep her safe and mentally together so I could figure out what the heck was going to go on because I knew I was up against some big stuff. Right. Didn't know what, but eventually I would. How did you... <clears throat> the support system around us is obviously incredibly important. How did you start to build that? And, and what within that process moved you towards Shay's Warriors? Great question. Um, I think the first thing, the first thing that, that happened was that I told my immediate family right away. And um, after I was able to tell my daughter, it was, okay, what is next? And we started a very, very private Facebook page that was called Shay's Warriors. Mm. It was started by um, a friend who said, you know, Shay, you just, you're so private. Um, you have to get something out. Otherwise, this is going to eat you alive from the inside. And I was like, okay, but just a few friends. Uh, and then I also um, met a girlfriend, Kate, which you guys know, Kate, Kate Spates. Mm -hmm. And I met at... Um, up the street actually at Starbucks and I told her right away like okay so I have breast cancer <laughs> I mean how do you sit down and tell some of your best friends that you have breast cancer the weather right? beautiful yeah. Yeah, I have breast hey, cancer. I'll take a vanilla latte and yes I have breast cancer um, I don't know what's going to happen but I need your support and I need you to help kind of place this bubble around me for say but inherently you knew i need to build a support system i knew system i needed to me. build a support system because my i don't have a lot of family in town at the time um jaylen was you know still young and, and in those junior high years that's a huge learning curve emotionally for a girl um and we built this facebook page and like i said it was private and um people started going on to it and I would just wake up on Thursdays, which was my chemo days. And I would write at like 4.30 in the morning because I couldn't sleep the day before chemo. And I would write and I just thought, if, I, if there's a probability that I will die and that's what I literally thought that I was probably not gonna make this, so I might as well go out by just saying authentically what is on my mind. Mm. And tell people about the journey. This, this isn't fun. I didn't ask for this. Nobody asks to have cancer. Um, but why not spell your truth out? And that's what I did. And then people started saying, hey, so-and-so is going through cancer. Can we add them onto your page? Can we add this? And at first I was like, mm, that's a little weird. And then I was like, what the heck do I care? I might die. So yeah, sure. And then it got to be 100 people, and then 200 people, and then 300 people. And now we have like 6,500 people around the world that are following our pages and doing what we're doing. So that was the journey of cancer. Three months after the NED diagnosis is when I kind of hit this stop sign again, and it was oh my God, am I crazy? Because I kept thinking every time I had a headache, it was brain cancer. Every time there was something going on, I'm going to cancer. The anxiety was killing me. And a girlfriend of mine said, well, you're done now and your story's over. So you just need to move on with life. And I was like, I want to so bad, but I don't know how. And the point that people don't understand is life after cancer is really, really, really tough. It's almost as tough as going through the whole process because you don't have the doctors that are checking in with you on a weekly basis. You don't have your nurses. Your support system, rightfully so, goes away. They go back to their lives, which is awesome, but people don't see the scars because your hair starts coming back, your eyelashes, all that good stuff, but they don't see the fact that you wake up in the morning and for a woman who has had breast cancer, I have a nice scar from the you know beginning of my breast all the way to the back. And I see that on a daily basis because I chose not to have 
reconstructive surgery at that time. And that's a lot of trauma to go through. It's a lot of trauma to go through losing your hair, losing your dignity, um, maybe like, you know, having fatigue, you know, not being able to pick up a, an I liked ginger ale and whiskey, <laughs> but I can no longer drink like I used to. And I shouldn't drink at all because it's 80% probability of breast cancer coming back. If I drink, that's, those are statistics that are real. They're proven, they're facts. And that's hard because I just want to go back to prior to cancer when I didn't have to think about cancer yeah. sometimes. There isn't really a prior to cancer anymore, no. is there? No. Yeah. It, and there is no old you. It's a new you. It's different. And it, and it taught a lot. And it was, you know, there, it was a gift to me because I slowed down in life. But um, that was at the point where I decided I need to go on a yoga retreat figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life because I don't know who I am anymore and I can't connect with my own body can't connect with my own thoughts I can't even connect with some of my own friends and I went on that week journey and journaled and moved and talked to 50 strangers I had never met before in my life and on the I-10 on the way back after that week I was like this is what I want to do I want to do a retreat that is for cancer survivors and I want it to be all paid for because we've, we've gone through enough. And I don't think that there's any other place in the world other than the beautiful Coachella Valley is where I would want to host it um, because the community here is beautiful. It's wonderful. The mountains are healing. They're spiritual. And this is a place that I call home. So that was my mission is to find every survivor that's out there and let them know that they're not alone and that we can talk and we can share and we can heal but we still have to move forward together because there's still a lot of healing to be done after cancer i want to turn the conversation uh to randy because this is a this is a diagnosis you've had not once but twice and like you said typically once prostate cancer is treated by having the prostate removed you don't often get a second shot yeah i haven't had a headache since my brain was removed that's right i figured it'd be the same (laughs) well talk about your first diagnosis uh for so men if you're out there if you're listening to this get your fucking psa checked and i'll just leave it at that um I'd been having my PSA checked locally, and it had been kind of moving up a little bit, but nobody was acting concerned. And, and Shay, I don't know about you, but for a large part of my life, I never felt like it was any part of my responsibility to come up with these answers. Um, somebody else was going to tell me, and they were going to tell me what I needed to do. Um, so we ended up, uh, my PSA got to a point where my urologist wanted to do a uh, biopsy. Uh, we did a biopsy, and then uh, Kay and I left to go up north to spend Christmas with our family. And I was also working at the time, and I was actually sitting in an office up in Northern California, and the phone rings, and it's uh, my urologist, and I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I didn't, wasn't expecting a call from him. And that call was to tell me that I had prostate cancer. So went home that night, or where we were staying, went, uh, back and told Kay what was going on and we just kind of hugged each other with no idea what any of it meant and um, ended up coming home and starting the whole process that was dates might mean a lot to you now they certainly do to me that was December 16th of 2016 and um, came back and uh, met with the doctor and he said we need to get rid of your prostate and I was like oh okay well let's do that and what they were planning on was just the standard surgery put me on a table cut me open six to eight months rehabilitation and again not taking any responsibility for my own process I just was like okay what's the date and then I had a conversation with a friend of mine in town and uh, we all know Dr. Mo and uh, he said well Uh, Why are you doing that? And I said, well, I'm told that this person is the top person in the valley for doing this. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that probably makes him number 300 in Southern California. 
And so he referred me to a doctor at the City of Hope, went and met with the City of Hope, and they said, no, here's what we need to do, which was da Vinci robotic surgery and literally take the prostate out. And within a couple of months, my PSA number was all the way down to zero, making it look like um, everything was fine. So again, a caution to men. I continued to have my PSA check, honestly, probably more out of mental comfort than anything else. I just wanted to see that zero every time. And then all of a sudden it wasn't zero. And it got to 0.1 and 0.2 and 0.5. And I talked to my primary physician. He said, oh, nothing to worry about. Those numbers can fluctuate for various reasons. And then um, about a, oh, six months ago, I had reason to see another doctor who looked at my PSA numbers and said, those aren't right. That shouldn't be happening. And sure enough, um, within a week, I had another diagnosis of prostate cancer. Well, tell me about that diagnosis, though, because you don't actually have a prostate. So they're concerned. Obviously, it stemmed from the original. Yeah cancer yeah but it it, doesn't it now like reside someplace else well the weird thing is they don't know exactly where it's residing and that's why the treatment plan went into place they 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 couldn't see a tumor a lot of this was honestly just done on actuarial type of stuff we know that a man this age who doesn't have a prostate whose psa does these numbers that the odds are very, very high that this person has recurrent prostate cancer, which happens in 10 to 15% of men. Wow. That's a pretty big number. It's, That's it's, a surprisingly big number. It's I didn't a surprisingly know big, bigger number than I thought. Um, and so uh, we went, um, uh, she recommended that I go in and see somebody else. I made the decision to go back to the City of Hope, and sure enough, they said, yep. So I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but basically what it means is when they they took my prostate out, they try very hard not to take any more tissue than they have to take. And so within the margins of the prostate, apparently something microscopic got missed, and it just took a few years for it to manifest. So that's where we are. What's been your treatment for this so far? You just wrapped up the radiation. Wrapped up the radiation. in, at the end of August, I started a six-month uh, hormone campaign through the end of February. The radiation was uh, seven weeks, 37 doses, and that just wrapped up this morning. And that was every day? Every weekday. They gave me the weekends off. Every well, Monday I can't tell Friday. you how much I loved Saturday and Sunday mornings <laughs> because <laughs> this is, this is going to sound really stupid. But there were things that I had to do to prepare for the radiation in the morning, like I had to have a full bladder for different reasons. And so I'm drinking like 32 ounces of water before I'm going. And by the time I get there, I was ready to explode, you know. So it took me a few days to kind of get that process down. Um, but, yeah, every, every weekday for seven weeks. Wow. And that is not all that long a period, but that's intense every weekday. When they mentioned it to me, it didn't seem like it was that long of a period. But But after you did it. (laughs) At the end of it, I realized how long it had been. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, obviously two different kinds of cancer, but a similar journey through this. And when you receive that diagnosis, you're just kind of staring down wondering what does it mean for me and you you know you pointed out you had a doctor that you didn't necessarily really love and you had to change doctors so that makes a that's a huge and important part of treating your cancer is finding a doctor that you are comfortable with that you like that you trust correct and it's it's something too that i think that i have learned along this journey to do even better and to suggest you need to have a medical team just as like you need to have a wonderful support team surrounding with you that you trust in order to get through your diagnosis okay 
you have, I mean, if, if there's a doctor that doesn't mesh with you and they talk down to you or whatever, you don't have to go to that doctor. They might be a good doctor and, and rightfully so, but maybe they have really bedside, bad bedside manners and you don't have to go to them. You have choices. And I chose to get my paperwork, get my scans, get my blood stuff in literally 24 hours and find a different doctor. And once I was able to find that doctor, things came together. I didn't have all the anxiety and the fears that I was starting to have with this one doctor who, you know, basically told me, you know, <laughs> you got to have a double mastectomy and this and this and this. And the chances of you living is going to be, you know, 3%. I mean, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm alone here. Hello. Like, I think patients as well as doctors, no matter how smart they are, have to realize that Patients have the words that they're saying matters, and it matters from the very get go on how their outcome as a patient is going to be. Sure, it made such a difference to me. I have to tell you, a month before, because we, we know what the medical field challenges are right now. I mean, I was talking to somebody at Eisenhower yesterday, and they can't even find doctors. Um, so the, the, the challenges are around the medical part of it were something that I didn't have any idea on how to deal with, right? Because I'd never had anything more serious than having my appendix taken out, right? And now you're, for the first time, now I'm listening and the, and the way they're talking to me means something. Yes. The very first doctor was the same experience. I didn't even know I had cancer walks into the room and says, here's the treatment plan. Here's what we're doing. And if we do this, this is the thing that kind of blew me away. If we do this, you have better than a 30% chance of living five years. <laughs> and I was like, no, give me the plan that has much better odds. Than, that's not what I'm looking for, doctor. Um, and turned around and walked out and said, call us when you're ready to set the appointment. Wow. And Thank drove home with Kay and said, that's not my doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You went through, uh, and I got to experience this with you while you were doing it, but you kind of, uh, upon your second diagnosis, you really looked at a lot of different options. You spent a, a, a fair amount of time kind of digging deep into this. Yeah. I, I did, and, and Shay, I'm interested in how you talk to people about this, but the first time I took almost literally no responsibility for my part of the treatment. It was like, here's what you have to do. Here's when you're going to do it. Here's how long it's going to take to recover. And I was like, okay. And, and that was it. But this time, right after I got diagnosed, I was walking through the Cancer Survivor Park in Rancho Mirage. And I saw a um, plaque that talked about commitment and talked about the importance of the patient making a total commitment to do everything they had to do to be a part of the uh, treatment plan um, and the cure. And at that moment, I made the decision, I'm going to do that. Some of it was goofy little stuff. I mean, you know, we've been doing our podcast since February, and I haven't mind having my Jack and, and Seven Up during those. But I made the decision throughout the period of uh, radiation, I wasn't going to have any alcohol silly little thing one way or the other but it was something that I could control and it was important to me to do I made the decision to start when I went for my appointments I was going to get there 45 minutes early and just walk the block as many times as I could and add to some of my health and, and not act like I was an invalid listen and, and, and Shay and I've talked about this if you're a male and you have to have cancer Prostate cancer is the right one to have. It's treatable. It's slow moving. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be part of the process of taking care of it. So that, that's one of the questions that I'm interested with you. I, I explained to you that the first time I went through it, I almost had a hard time admitting that I was a cancer patient because I saw people that were taking oxygen and they had no hair and they were frail and they looked like they weren't going to make it very long. And, I was up and golfing, you know, five weeks after my prostate surgery. So I almost had a hard time accepting the fact that I had been a, a cancer patient. Is that something that you deal with a lot? 
With myself or no, with others? No, with, with others. Is there ever anything that you have to help somebody think through? Yes. In fact, I just spoke to a young lady last night that is really, um, she just got the diagnosis not too long ago. Um, she has spoke to her family, her friends. She can't connect at all, including with her husband. Um, she hasn't spoken to her children about it. Mm. And it's just something that I, I asked her, have you accepted the fact that you have cancer? And are you, or are you just still trying to have everyone believe that you're okay, that you're strong, that life is just going to go on? And I said, I'm a safe place here because I've been through it. Yeah. And whatever you say to me, I have no judgment. This is about you, not about me, but I'm going to ask you some hard questions. And, you know, she said, yeah, I don't, I kind of haven't touched that subject. And I was like, why? Because if you touch that subject, is it because then you have to admit that you have cancer and that it's hard and that you're scared and that you have anxiety and fears and that you have hopes and dreams that you still want to live out. Like, this is some hard stuff. But remember, there are two certains in life. You're born and you die. And somewhere in between, some of us have that mortality that is like right in our face. And that's a hard thing to look at and accept. But at some point in time, we do have to acknowledge that death will eventually come, but why not live while you can now and start start saying your feelings. Let go of, of these things that are that are inside you. Is it is the it's okay to live now? Is is that kind of a basic philosophy of Shay's Warriors? Um, our our saying is it's okay not to be okay. But if you have a line that's drawn in the sand and you fall below that line, you have people that will help pick you up to stay above the line. But it's okay to cry. It's okay to have these fears. This is normal. This is natural for men and women. But it's not okay to be always down all the time because that's where you need extra help beyond what shades can do. Do you, as an organization, do you, are you proactive about seeing that with somebody that you've got somebody out there that's part of the organization and you can sense that maybe mentally they're kind of beat down a little bit? Are you proactively reaching out to them? We do have, we do have a lot of warriors that are out and about that we say like they're kind of, they buddy up with friends. Ambassadors. Ambassadors. Yeah. yeah, They're ambassadors (laughs) or advocates. Um, which is really around our coffee and connections. They come on the third Saturday of the month and they get free coffee as long as they're a survivor. And sometimes their support system comes with them. And it's really nice because then the support system people all go gather together and start chatting. But the survivors or the people that are currently going through cancer they're talking and chatting and then they go to lunch one day and then they go for walks and then they go for hikes. I mean, that becomes a community in itself. And we are just the vessel that helps bring it together. Tell me a little bit more, kind of outline Shays Warriors as an organization and some of the services you provide. I know you do retreats, you talk about the coffee, uh, the, the meeting, the connecting. So give me an outline of what Shea Warriors is and does. Yeah. So we have three main things that we focus on, which is, if it was a triangle, mind, body, and connection. Everything encompasses those three things with what Shays does. The mindset uh, is, is pretty much everything, but we have what's called coffee and connection, like I just said. It's the third Saturday of each month. Um, we host it with our community partners at um, Baraco Coffee I'm here in Palm Desert. And people can just sign up and come, or they can just show up. As long as they are a cancer survivor going through cancer, we buy them a free cup of coffee for, or tea or whatever they want, right? Um, but it's so that they can connect with others 
and start to talk about the journey of healing and moving forward and how how that happens. Um, we have Move to Heal, which is, again, a part of our Fit Warrior accountability, and that encompasses it all. But every third Tuesday of the month, we give anyone who wants to show up it's movement, healing, and mindset. And that's held at La Quinta Wellness Center. Um, we partnered up with Eisenhower, it's Lucy Kirchie Cancer Center on that. And once they have their new build, we'll be back over there too. So we do that um, twice, twice a month on there. And then our talk, listen, share, which is similar to what your podcast is, is just every um, second Wednesday of the month, we are talking about different modalities and local businesses that can help survivors move forward, feel good, connect. That's such an important thing because I think I told you a story of um, after my first diagnosis, the first thing I was told by somebody was you need to join a support group. And I was still working at the time and I, I was in Chicago and Kay was here, my wife was here, and we had a, our first call scheduled. And we didn't realize that there were different levels of the calls. So we get on the first call, and within 10 minutes, we're listening to people who are stage four near the end, and they're just basically talking about how they're getting through it. And we hung up that call and didn't call each other back for like 15 or 20 minutes and just kind of let everything settle in. And then we called each other and just cried for the next half hour on the phone. We just didn't realize that wasn't the right place for me to go to support at that time. So is this something that you kind of help people through? Is it, what, what are the stages of support and where should you go for various things? If someone is starting off and going through cancer, so you're starting your chemo, your radiation, and all of that good stuff, we always usually refer them to Eisenhower, Desert, or some of the other oncology centers that we know who have the resources and the programs, those type of support groups. Because if someone is currently going through cancer, they need someone else who's also going through cancer. Um, they can come to any of our stuff. It's never a charge, nothing. We want them to have that connection, but we really focus on once the support from your hospital, from your friends, your family, once that goes away, we're there. Yeah. You're post-treatment. We're post-treatment. <clears throat> uh, yep. You do retreats. Yes. You just did one. We did in June, which is National Cancer Survivors Month. Tell us about those retreats. And, and you had, what, 65 people? We had 40. Oh, 40. We fully scholarshiped 40 ladies this year. And um, during it was held at the La Quinta Resort. And it was four days and three nights. And literally life-changing again to see all of these women they show up and arms are folded we don't tell them a ton of stuff of what it's going to be but there's a little work to be had and done at these retreats and um but there's also fun and when they walk away they should walk away with 38 39 other friends you know maybe one person doesn't like one <laughs> i don't know so there's always one say, yeah there's always one there's always every one in crowd the <laughs> all right so like when you say there's a little work to be done what's, yeah were i to show up at this retreat what's the work that you put the the retreat goers through yeah so we have we have a wonderful woman who i found during that yoga retreat that i went to and I called her up one day and I said, actually, before I left that retreat, I said, I don't know how or why or when that I know I'm going to see you again. I called her for that first retreat that we did uh, two years ago. And I said, Sass, hey, do you remember me? Blah, 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 blah. And she said, oh, yes. And I was like, I'd like to have you come out and do this retreat. But I'd like to make this retreat specifically for cancer survivors. And this is the stuff that I have in my head that has helped me along the way. And I think that it will help other people too. And it was based on a little bit about my yoga training, the trauma training that I've done over the years, and business stuff that I've, I've worked through. And she said, absolutely, I'll be there. And I had no idea this at the time, but her mom is a cancer survivor as well. So she, I flew her out. 
and she has been with us since day one. In fact, she'll be here in the desert not too long from now again because we're planning year three. Uh, this year, though, we have a little surprise because we're going to be hosting an all-male experience for 25 male cancer survivors. And we're going back to 30 women because men and women, it's, it will be a separate retreats, but cancer survivorship is hard on both. And it's really important because there's nothing out there really like this for gentlemen. And for ladies, they do want to sit and talk and have more feelings and have that time. So, um, yeah, 50 That's fantastic. That's great. Do you find we, that men still have a hard time talking about this stuff more than women do? Interestingly enough, when they come to our Coffee and Connection or Move to Heal classes, it takes a matter of a few minutes to start talking. I mean, I know when we you're all know place. why we yeah. all know why they're there. Yeah. But it is interesting because sometimes the wives, if they're with the wives, their wives are like, "Don't cry, don't cry." <laughs> but the guy will be the first one to start crying because he's, you know, men. You men are supposed to be strong and like, you know, take on the world mm, and all wuss. of this I'm stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. But I mean, that's that's you know, that's what reality or what society tells us not reality but randy is a softy we uh, we're not even allowed to mention the, the movie old yeller because he just starts oh to cry. man I love that, yeah, that just reminded me of bambi and oh, look what happened another one <laughs> let's talk about one of your Good movies <laughs> so tell me um one of the things that that i talked to you about when we met uh again was that that process that some men go through where there's such a denial that anything like this is happening because somehow or the other it's almost some a comment on their masculinity that they're dealing with this kind of stuff um, and that they just can't take care of it themselves in this retreat that you're going to be having for all these men are these the kind of things that are going to be addressed or do you really set these up based on what the people that are there tell you they need to hear once they get there? Yeah, I think at the male experience, there is going to be big time conversations about talking to your friends yeah. and going in and having a check. I mean, go in and get the check. Don't go through the inconvenience of a year because a lot of times, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a guy, but are you guys all getting checked? Oh, oh, I yeah. am. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get my PSA. Good. Yeah. Okay, but there's a lot of guys we should, that... We should do it here. There is... What, wasn't, didn't somebody do a colonoscopy on the air? Oh, my God. Katie, Katie Kirk. Kirk. Katie Kirk did let's, after her husband let's died. Let's do a prostate biopsy. No, we don't need to... It might not be the first... I'm, it might I'm not be the first time a prostate's been checked at the little bar, but I don't want to participate. Yeah. No, not here. No. And... But my thank you for the offer. I have our heads on that one. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I mean, we, we need to talk about it more. And in November is National Men's Health Awareness Month. And so we call it Bro-vember. Get it? Yo, bro. Bro. Yeah. Bro. I get it. Yes. <laughs> Yo, bro, the male experience. That's what our, our retreat is called for the guys. Um, and we need to just start having a normalcy around the conversation of getting checked and not make it an inconvenience to go in for that two or three hours of a time that you have to sit in the doctor's office and wait and et cetera, et cetera, because you may have to have an inconvenience of years. You know, the other thing that this process caused me to do, um, I didn't know much about my family history when I started going into this this. And once I got the diagnosis and then some genetic testing, I started reaching out to the family. And it was like, what? All these people had cancer? Um, so that was the first time that the family had started to put together kind of a, a biography of all the issues that we had had. Do you find that that's a challenge with a lot of people, that they just don't know what's been going on genetically in their family? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with breast cancer, a lot of times it's not genetic. Right. Unless, again, you have that BRCA gene. Right. 
Um, but with colon cancer, prostate cancer, um, kidney cancer, I mean, we have all types of cancer now. I mean, we started off as a breast cancer organization because that's what I had. That's what um, some of our board members had. But, I mean, we, we have all types of cancer now within our organization or people with life after cancer or going through it, currently going through it. Because stage four, I mean, <laughs> it's like stage four has nothing metastatic breast cancer. We have a lot of women that are going to live with cancer for the rest of their lives. And sorry about that. (laughs) We have a lot of uh, them that are going to live like this for the rest of their lives and they need us. They need support. We, um, the the other thing that came through this is that um, once I told the doctor what all the family history was, she recommended some genetic testing. And another thing that I want to make sure that people know is that Things have changed a lot in terms of insurance coverage and the ability to get the kind of testing that you need. Um, a lot of the stuff that I had to get done, I'm, I'm old enough to be on Medicare, uh, but a lot of the stuff that I had to get done was covered. Screening stuff that a few years ago wasn't. The genetic test that I had, I was told my, by my doctor that as recently as five years ago, that test cost several thousand dollars. Um, now it's like $200. The benefit of that now is that because its cost isn't prohibitive, more people are starting to do it. They're starting to get their genetic testing, and they can start addressing things much earlier in the process. So the good thing for me is I get to start screening for pancreatic cancer going forward, which is the same variant in that gene that... that uh, well, I was also told that breast cancer is one of the things that that variant carries, too. So mm-hmm. I'm hitting the lottery all across the board here. But you have Shay's Warriors, too. I have Shay's Warriors. And I got to tell you, <laughs> after having followed Shay for years, and we've spoken a couple of times, but not a lot, um, my wife actually did one of your online yoga classes during uh, COVID that you were doing. Um, when this all kind of came to a head, one of the first people I thought I wanted to talk to was, was Shay, because I knew what you were doing here in the Valley. So, and now we're sitting here across the table here from each are. other. Who knows what's next? Well, you are still going, Randy, through your, your journey with treatment. And, you know, it's important to have a support group because certainly John McMullen and I probably don't do you much good. But Shay will be with you every Shay's seven. been awesome. And, it, and, and it's really cool because basically the hormones have turned me into a 55-year-old woman. I, I, uh, I'm having hot flashes regularly during the day. Um, chemo does age you by 20 years. But you didn't have chemo. You had radiation. I didn't have chemo. So actually I'm older than you. I just look really old. Yeah. So all of this stuff, I actually told my wife if she ever comes in and sees me watching a Hallmark movie, just take, oh. take care of me now. Unless it's one of Ron, Ron Oliver's, Oliver's which previous guests. Ron Oliver, who lives here, is a film writer and director, and he wrote a lot of Hallmark movies over the years. Some of our favorite. So my favorite, I guess. You know, this is, I, I've been really excited about doing this, Shay, because as much fun as we've had doing this podcast on a lot of different things, we live in a valley where this is an issue. Cancer is an issue. We have a lot of elderly people. Um, the, the fact that you are here in doing what you're doing for this valley is so badly needed right now. What's, what can we do to support Shay's Warriors? Keep getting the word out. Direct them to our Instagram, our Facebook, our website. We are in this to find every survivor in the valley, get them to that retreat, get them to Coffee and Connection, get them to move and to heal. Because if we are able to do that as a community with no expectations whatsoever, we will we're stronger together that way we really are um so the retreats are the biggest thing and you asked me just a little bit ago what's the secret sauce of that retreat the the bonding the community and the connection that happens while we're there give everybody your website so we can spread the word www.shayswarriors.org shayswarriors.org write it down if someone in your life 
has been diagnosed with cancer or is a cancer survivor, we want you to connect with shayswarriors.org because she's doing great work and it's a tremendous network of people that you have cobbled together here in the Valley. You and your board do a fantastic job. Thank you. And I know it comes from a, a deeply, intensely personal journey that you underwent and and came out the other side when a lot of times you probably thought that you wouldn't. Certainly at the beginning of your diagnosis, that was the big concern. Yes, because I will tell you this, and I think this all the time, if I was to go through everything I did, the only thing make, that makes sense to me is to be able to give back the way we're doing. That's as simple as that. Well, we love that you're doing it. Uh, we wish you continued good health and that NED diagnosis. And Randy, you too. Thank you. We, and we will support you with whatever you need through this uh, this journey. Cash. 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 That's the one thing we can't do. Two Shays Warriors, because it's a donation. Well, that's right. true. That's 100%. true. 100%. And by that, the way, that I, we can do. I, I am wearing my Shays Warriors yeah, swag right now. And you put on a Shays Warriors bumper sticker on your car? I did. It's, um, well, it's really two balls and a you-know-what, but... It looks like a cactus. So people know who's in the car. They know who's in the car. <laughs> One of our board members, Lindsay, she is a genius when it comes to that collaboration, that, that vision. She just makes it happen. We are in the desert. Yeah, we are in the desert. We Sometimes do a lot of golf. Cacti just look like that. We have a lot of golf balls. Shay, thank you so much. Thank you both, really. For I mean, it's an intensely personal conversation and to talk about it, but it's important because you're setting an example and hopefully you're empowering other people to have that conversation with their families, with their doctors, you know. Well, and, and I want to finish with this. <clears throat> I wasn't really sure how public I wanted to go with this. I've talked to a lot of friends, but as I told you, I wasn't going to be posting every day on Facebook what I was going through. But Shay said something to me that was really important, which is those of us who maybe are out in the public a little bit because, you know, I have this massive podcast with Patrick Evans. Um, maybe we can share information with people who need to hear it. And so that was one of the reasons that I wanted to be able to get this information out there because um, prostate cancer is curable. You don't have to die from it, but there's organizations like Shay's Warriors that'll help you get through every step of this thing. So thank you, Shay. Thank you. We appreciate your time today, Shay, and we appreciate you, the listeners. Thank you, guys, and we'll be back again with another episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations Little Bar with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System.